Welcome to the Joe Contractor Show, a podcast created by three regular Joes. The Joe Contractor Show is a place where trade professionals, business owners, and homeowners looking for solid advice and amusement can hear stories of great success and great failure in the turbulent and unpredictable world of construction. On the Joe Contractor Show, we dig deep into the realm of remodeling and construction. We chat with construction trade professionals, business owners, and homeowners alike. We support local independent contractors and those who put their trust in the hands of these capable and hardworking business owners and tradespeople. We discuss construction and home maintenance from multiple angles, and we do it with compassion, purpose, and humor. Listen as Lori Merrick and Sam, along with a wide variety of guests, explore topics related to construction, homeownership, small business creation, and more. A quick reminder, don't forget to send your questions to questions at joecontractorshow.com. And after you've done that, please take a moment to hit the like button, subscribe, or talk about us tomorrow morning at the local coffee shop. We appreciate feedback and critique, and it lets us know that you're out there and that you care. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Joe Contractor, or the Joe Contractor Show, I should say. That's right. its full name. Yep. So, um, hi, Merrick and Lori. How are you? Hi, Sam. Hey, Merrick. <laughs> hey. Good to be uh, here we're sitting again. across the table from each other back out in uh, the Wonder Woman garage studio, which is awesome. Um, so, uh, we won't, I, you know, I don't... My my understanding is that people don't actually love the banter at the beginning of it when the three hosts. I mean, I don't know what they actually like because no one ever says anything. Um, but you know, so do we sit here and talk, or do we introduce our guest? Well, let's just get right on it. Yeah, that's kind of what I think too. Um, today we have uh, Dustin Dennison, who is actually very well known by all of us. Is that not true? Correct. Right? Yep. Well, we yep, didn't. We is... didn't realize that Lori and him had a relationship when we started talking about having him on the show. Yeah, this is a family reunion. I'm yep. super excited to be here. Yeah, it's like uh, we've we all knew each other separately, but not. This is the first time the entire sphere has been brought together, or whatever the circle has been made. Yeah, it's like looking on Facebook, and you're going, "I didn't know they knew that 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 person." That's right. Wow, what that's mm. crazy. Yeah, so Dustin, um, I, I will say we all know you from the construction industry, and you uh, you formerly had a company, uh, uh, AEI, what was it? Applied again? Energy Innovation. That's right. Yep, for 10 years. Yep. Right across the street from here, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah very, very close by. Um, and your specialty was? Uh, as a trade, um, was mechanicals. So yeah. everything from... Uh, heating, ventilation, boiler systems, gas systems, pipe fitting. Mostly, um, I started on the commercial industrial side. So a formal apprenticeship um, out in Denver um, 28 years ago. And um, oh, man. that's how I got into the building trades. And Was it union? Yeah. So you're yeah. an apprentice. Why did you pick HVAC? Um, it, it's interesting migration. Um, probably 92. I was in construction here um, a very young age. I just got out of retail. 
And, um, you know, that's weekends and evenings. And, what you oh do in retail? Yeah. Don't skip okay. past that too fast. <laughs> I did retail for a little while, too, in college, so, yeah, right? I worked at Dayton Hudson Corporation in loss prevention. Oh. And I was in internal loss prevention uh, for a couple of years um, at the, the, the main store downtown. Um, we had, I think, 3,200 employees. We kind of tracked and monitored and... Everything from the buyers and the sellers to the cooks and the chefs, and and, uh, and then I went um, went onto the sales floor, and um, I had I had my little setup. You know, I was young. I was pushing a stroller with a fake baby in it, and had my fanny fanny pack with my handcuffs and my walkie-talkie. <laughs> but I knew all the signs, and uh, and my wife eventually got into loss prevention too. Uh, we were very young. And uh, when you see the traits of someone that's up to no good, uh, they are just imprinted in you. You know, it's the typical not really knowing what they're looking for, but their eyes are everywhere except on the product. And um, some, some right. funny telltale science, but I'm, I'm happy you, to see that in my past. Were you like a, like a power couple then at the store in the loss prevention <laughs> department? Uh, funny. Um, I went from Minneapolis, Dayton's to the St. Paul where I met my wife. And she worked in, um, I think they called it back then, blouses or casual wear. Oh, yeah. And um, uh, she was, uh, oh, God, I don't even want to open the door on this. Oh, Long story short, she was engaged. <laughs> Her oh. fiance worked there. I worked there. She set me up with her cousin. Her, my, her and her cousin and I dated, and then we went on double dates with my um, wife's fiance at the time. And tell me, the fiance ended up with the cousin, and you ended up with the wife, and everything's great, and the whole thing worked out. <laughs> Everyone's happy. Everything's great. Yeah, yeah I'm still talking to the cousin. It, there was some, there was some drama over a 21st birthday my wife was holding at her fiance's house, in which that particular party, I don't know, 50, 60 people. There's no internet. There's no Facebook. There's no way to call a party off. Their relationship was already dwindling, and uh, the cousin and my wife sat me down in the bedroom about halfway through the night after many many beverages and uh, said. You have to choose. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Literally the, the biggest decision in my life. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I loved and enjoyed both these women and their families were amazing. And um, I made a decision that night. And, yeah, it's been 28 years married. Yeah. Wow. So, 28 glorious years. Glorious I know years. I've, yeah. I've met your wife at one of these uh, Fun parties you used to have at your old place. She's amazing. She, man, what an amazing mother, and she makes me want to be a better man every day. There you go. Well, that was a little fun little side note. So you, so you started doing your. um, I mean, not that you know, maybe the maybe the personal stuff is more fun. (laughs) But you did your apprenticeship in uh, in HVAC in the union. I started in um, architectural sheet metal. Um, so I worked for a contractor here in the South Metro, um, Ching Johnson, and um, they were a well-established um, contracting company. The owner was a former Golden Gloves boxer, um, Ka-Ching Johnson. And, Ooh. Uh, um, I was very young at the time, I think probably early 20s, maybe I was 21, 20 years old. 
uh, had left retail, gotten into construction, and uh, fast forward, I had gotten into the architectural sheet metal side of things. Um, a couple of years at Ching Johnson, and then I ended up at All Star Construction. Um, you guys might have heard of them. Yeah, I have. And they've been around a long, long time. And I apprenticed with um, a gentleman there. I think his name was Rich. And we ran around. And at the time, the industry was changing from employees to subcontractors. Mm. And what All Star Construction had figured out was the Achilles heel to the warranty on a roof just came down to the flashing work. And if he could guarantee in in-house that work to a level of um, uh, craftsmanship that didn't fail, there really was no problem having you know these subcontractors and we came behind and we did the chimney flashings and the cupola flashings and you know all these different things. So uh, ended out in Denver in 94 and uh, got in with a commercial industrial architectural uh, company out of Boulder. And um, while I worked in that shop in Boulder, I was on a press break and a shear break, and we were doing a lot of forming of um, parapet cap flashings and architectural features. And every now and then, we had to run across the street to the HVAC mechanical shop because they had certain machinery, um, and we had to roll a Pittsburgh, or we had to do rounded sheet metal um, details. I had to go over there, and um, I don't know, probably two months of kind of bouncing and using their machinery um they were like hey well you know metal you know sheet metal Mm -hmm. how about doing hvac metal and i didn't know anything about it i was like "Mm, okay and um fast forward a couple years i was with a company robinson mechanical and um out of boulder and probably really one of the most impactful companies i had worked for that left uh, a vision and an imprint on just a very well-run um, uh, group of, of professionals uh, doing commercial industrial HVAC work, um, pipe fitting, steam fitting. Uh, How metal. big was the company? Um, big. I think we at the time, well, we were doing probably probably 80 million a year. Right. And, um, and I was on the crew. I started out and I did, my apprenticeship started with them in a non- uh, BATC apprenticeship, not Bureau of Apprenticeship. So I wasn't certified, but they brought in their staff at night, their engineers, and uh, they taught us apprentices. And um, it just was such an eye opener. And um, I was with them for probably two years. And then I got recruited by um, a union organizer out of Local 9. Uh, his name was Chad. And I remember coming home to my wife, and she was terrified. I said, I got solicited to to work for another company and and you know it's it's with the local union and my god she was just terrified but uh, she was excited and we had a baby on the way and uh, big changes in our life and still again we were very young and uh, got into local nine and uh, I started kind of breaking the glass ceilings there they really wanted me to restart my apprenticeship over but I um I pushed hard and, and proved, you know, basically a year and a half of formal apprenticeship and, and met their standards and uh, excelled very quickly with the local apprenticeship in Denver. And when I turned out as a journeyman, I actually turned out in advance and went right into a um, uh, a position with the local in their um, organizing department. So 
I was doing what the gentleman who met me, Chad, had organized me to do that in a very large uh, non-union market in Denver, Colorado. Yep. So uh, a lot of great experiences. And, and um, again, you know, the Denver market from 94 to 2000 was just on fire. It was, I mean, we had, I think there was 60,000 licenses a month that were brought in from out of state to exchange for Colorado. And what an experience. Everything on the front range um, from Longmont to Boulder to um, um, downtown was just, it was, you know, how many hours can you work? We got to, you know, we got this job's going to run long. But the point of this being, um, my experience in that was I worked on a crew that basically went kind of behind the field crews and we did all the, all the warranty and, and did repairs on you know, fire smoke dampers and things that weren't right. We were the punchless crew. And gotcha. uh, boy, if you ever want to get a learning crew, work on the punchless crew because you go behind everybody and you you find and fix the mistakes. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And, uh, and that was huge. So, so you know, I know that you, uh, when people say HVAC, yes. you know, they think heating and air conditioning, but I know you have a very, very um, broader background than that. You do on it. Tell us everything that you do and what it, what that HVAC means to you. Yeah, so um, heating, ventilation, air conditioning. But to be, I'm going to be really religious on this. Air conditioning really is not the refrigerant air conditioning. It's the conditioning of air in terms of temperature, humidity, quality control. Um, and uh, so in the in the trades, in the union trades, you're siloed within, you know, working with basically within sheet metal, within HVAC. And uh, at that time, you know, I'm not touching pipe fitting. I'm not touching boilers. I'm not touching refrigeration. I'm not touching any of that. I'm just doing what's called warm air ventilation systems. And um, uh, I did a five-year apprenticeship in Denver. And then when I came back to Minnesota in 2000, uh, my wife came out about a year in advance with our two daughters um, because I had just gotten the job with the local as an organizer. So I maintained that commitment for for a year. I moved back in 2000 and uh, got into Local 10 here and proceeded to pursue my my education. And um, with that, I was able to do uh, another another eight years of formal schooling with the local union. And uh, so that got me through my apprenticeship, through being a journeyman, um, I was now a master's, but I was still a master's within this, this sm- small silo. And in, um, after 9-11, um, you know, the economy started to crash. And for some sectors of the economy, it crashed pretty quick. And for some sectors, um, it didn't. And what's, what's a in- really interesting fact is when you look at the commercial industrial side of construction, you're talking about projects that get, um, that are, you know, a year, sometimes two years of development. Uh, so the financing, the engineering, the plan review, the permitting. Um, once the train leaves the station, it doesn't matter what, what the economy's in because the project is funded and it's permitted and it's going to be built. Right. Um, you can't so stop that stuff. You can't stop that. And so when you look at the commercial industrial side, um, a lot of that had taken place uh, here in Minnesota. And so construction was probably uh, at the tail end, I would say anywhere from four to six years behind the fallout, the financial fallout of 9-11. But when it caught up with the construction industry during that during that four to six years, 
So this would have been fast forward to about, um, uh, let's see, I opened my business in 2010. Yeah. So um, during that, was that, does that sound right? No, it sounds wrong. Doesn't it? That's too late, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe it was 2000. It, so, so 9-11 was 2001, right? Okay. So 2006, it started to catch so, up with our trades. So right around the time the, uh, the recession happened. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep, exactly. Yep. Um, that makes more sense to me because I... Yep. Yep. So, um, so that had hit the commercial industrial trades. And I remember I was working at um, Flint Hills Refinery. And we had, a, had about 180,000 square foot um, facility out there. And I just remember, you know, watching the fallout of all the trades and guys were loading up on the bench. And um, I remember at that time, between about 2008 and um, 2010, there was one tower crane in the entire metro. That tower crane was over at the U of M campus, and there was not a single tower crane in the entire metro. Uh, Those were tough times, and I had a really great crew um, with me down at Flint Hills and um, said, you know, I had, a, I had a, a great general contractor and said, well, we can stretch out our, our work frame if we go to 40 work weeks. Otherwise, I got I to gotta start laying people off. And uh, at that time, I was working for Egan Companies, uh, another amazing company, just been blessed to work with. And um, <clears throat> kind of rode that out on smaller projects to about, um, to about 2010. January, which is when I, I opened my business. So I was out of work for a year. I ran through all my federal extensions, 12 months unemployment extensions. I couldn't find a single construction job to get into. And at that time also, I was still trapped in the silo of just one trade proficiency. The sheet metal. Warm air right. ventilation yeah. sheet metal. Yeah. yeah. And um, so after a year, um, you know, I really just through the passion of working with the tools and being in my community, um, took on a couple of small projects with neighbors. And it was interesting. I had been doing, my wife and I doing community work in South Minneapolis and we helped start a farmer's market and we were active with uh, our student uh, PTO and all these other neighborhood organizations. And my wife was on the board and, and all of a sudden it was, people were like, oh, I need, I need someone to, you know, work on my furnace. And I'm like, oh, well, I know how to do that. And, and one thing just kind of led to another. All of a sudden, all of these, this capital that my wife and I had built in the community for 10 years, this capital of relationships, trusted relationships that we had built had now connected. Oh, that's what you did in your day job. But can you, can you come help me? So uh, driven again by the passion of, of working with the tools uh, in 2010, I partnered with a unemployed uh, master carpenter, an unemployed electrician, and an unemployed pipe fitter. And the four of us uh, came together, and um, I, I founded AEI and kind of wrote the business model behind it. And I really wanted to focus on energy efficiency and sustainability. Yep. And um, and we were a good we were a good mix um, in the beginning until I think people realized how much work it is to own a business. And uh, it was at that <laughs> it point, is. it was at that point, you know, I kind of, I was reaching my maximum capacity. We literally, we started our, started, started the company out of my garage in Corcoran neighborhood. And um, the wife was, you know, I got to get the living room table back. I'm like, okay. And we went out to the garage and spent some time in the garage in the winter, which had no heat 
I, again, our start date was January. It was cold winter. And then I got a small office space on Minnehaha. Um, let's see, for those in Minneapolis that are familiar with the Parkway Pizza, we're right on the corner there. Used to be a photography studio. Dave uh, had owned it. And uh, what a wonderful corner we were on. But um, we were literally in an office that was maybe uh, 25 feet long by 8 feet wide. So we just had, we just started to stack people along one wall. So we had a corridor we could walk behind each other. But um, yeah, so, you know, the company kind of grew from, from there. And um, then I realized, you know, as a contractor, uh, people kept coming to us and I was turning away work that we could be doing. And I, and I, you know, as a contractor, you hate to turn away work, uh, especially at that time in a recession. Right. right. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm starting a, a startup business in the middle of a recession. I got my pension that I'm funding this with, you know, first thing I did buy, buy a bunch of vans. I mean, it's, you got to have some vans, move tools and equipment or materials around. But, um, yeah. Um, after that, you know, we things started to take off and economy started to come around a little bit. And I realized, man, I got to get back and get some licensure. So uh, back to your comment, Lori, I went back to school and I pursued my master's in uh, boiler and steam. Um, I should actually say I pursued my journeyman. And then once you complete your journeyman, you can move on to your master's. And then I pursued uh, my gas fitting uh, master's license and then pursued my refrigeration and for some contractors that may or may not know Minneapolis and St. Paul are some of the most restrictive licensing cities in, in the state and in order as a tradesman in the mechanical trades in order for me to touch for example a furnace uh, well, let's say I had to swap out a furnace and air conditioner for for somebody um, I would have to have a license to uh, take the gas off the furnace, reconnect the gas. I would have to have a license to disassemble the refrigeration, to reassemble the refrigeration. Uh, I have to have the warm air license to do the sheet metal work in the furnace itself. And so um, at that early stage, I, I don't know if I should share this in the phone, but as contractors, you get smart and you get crafty and you kind of horse trade some licensors. Yeah, can you pull that permit? Sure, I can pull that. Can you pull this permit for me? Sure. So uh, about 2002, things economy started to come around. And um, I was leaning on a lot of the resources around me, which really kind of opened my eyes. And I was like, I, I got to pursue, again, these, these licensures. So to me, um, you know, education in the trades has just been a lifelong passion. I'm always learning. And when you're into, you know, uh, energy efficiency and sustainability, uh, your, your products are changing, your technology is changing. And so you're always, you're always having a, a need to learn. And what I really found advantageous for me, um, and once I got my, my boiler license and several other licenses, was my competition was still stuck in the old ways. And so I was competing against contractors, mechanical contractors, that all they wanted to do was the cast iron boiler. That's our bread and butter. You know, you talk about that condensing water heater or that condensing boiler. You know, that's technology. It's not proven even though this is being installed in other yeah, countries, right? right? Totally kind proven, like yeah. Split took 60 years to cross the ocean right. and, and people to understand what it is. But, um, uh, yeah, so learning's been a lifelong passion. And um, uh, the current employer has, has um, stepped to the plate in some of that training and, and currently working on my NYSET certification for fire sprinkler. So... so. I just had a question about, you know, what was that like? You're running a business, you've got a team of people, and then you realize you got to go 
to school mm -hmm. to get these other licenses and you have the additional costs and the additional time. Was that, it, a, was that a hard time? It wasn't. It wasn't a too bad of a transition for me. I was, I was motivated through my, my passion being in the trades and I was motivated to um, get the schooling, you know, attend the classes, do the hard work. And uh, to me, it was also, you know, a means to an end. Like, I got to get that permit pulled. I mean, in fact, I remember specifically, <laughs> I had a couple jobs lined up while I was taking my tests that I was like, I have to pass this test. Right, <laughs> like, right. I got to pull a permit. I've got two jobs sold. So for, I got to get a permit. Right. <laughs> for like a younger person thinking about this though, right? So um, what does that mean when you go to school? Like what, what length of time, how long are we talking here to get these different certifications? So I've, I've been very blessed and fortunate. I've had, you know, 14 years of, of education schooling for free. Um, you know, I remember with my wife working to pay off her, um, her student debt. Um, but, uh, you know, my apprenticeship program was five years and, um, two nights a week. Uh, it's pretty rigorous for, for our certification. Um, not only is it, uh, you know, 2000 hours a year of in the field work, um, but it's also a set amount of classroom time, uh, that has to be proven. So, and so that, is, that was through an apprentice, uh, an accredited apprenticeship correct. program yep. with, yep. Within a company or within a... Um, uh, within the local union. Within the union itself. Yeah. 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 And then outside of that environment, you know, while I had my own company, I was uh, pursuing, you know, similar classes uh, outside the local union. And um, uh, again, big sacrifices. I mean, I just, I remember the build up to taking the journeyman's test and then the build up to, okay, now I got to you know, work on the master's test. And some of the trades you have to, you actually have to have time between the journeyman's and the master's license. Um, so it's a big sacrifice. I mean, I definitely, um, it's a lot of choices and things I could have been doing outside of studying the books and, right. you know, and, and in a classroom. But um, uh, so it starts different. out, right, with the, you're the, the first four years of, or, how many hours you got to put in or the first apprenticeship part of becoming a journeyman. Then you take your test. Then you can do your own classes and take your yep. tests when you're ready, correct? Correct. Yeah. 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 So let's say for the for the sake of education here mm -hmm. of, of anyone who might be listening, let's say I'm twenty years old. Uh I've given up on my job at the uh North Face store because it sucks. Retail. Right, retail, <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I, weekends I, I went to retail because we've all done it. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you're just like, okay, this is going nowhere. Um, you're not, you're not wanting to go to college because you don't feel like being an astrophysicist because that's just not in the cards. <laughs> so, a astrophysicist is that right? Yeah, I think so. Anyway, I'll give it to us. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know. Um, so you're not, you're not headed to college. So you, like, and if I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to make. I don't want to turn all the 20 year olds away, but they tend to seem to want to be CEO the next day after you hire them from what I can tell these days. <laughs> I'm getting these little knowing nods here. It, maybe we all did. I don't remember. I don't, I don't, I remember being put in my place a lot when I was young in the trades. Like it just didn't feel like you were ever going to make it yeah. to that level. I would agree. I mean, I think there's, there's definitely um, millennials and, and culture change. You know, my wife and I were very much, 
salt of the earth. We had a job back then and you ate crow and you did your job because you didn't want to lose your job and it was important. And yeah, in, and yeah we were young and you took your punches, but yet you, you just you had to stay with it. And I don't want to bag on the millennials because I'll no. tell you what, they're nicer people than we were back yeah. then. I know that. Yeah. But they do seem to want to be jump, you know, straight to the most important role in the company. So, yeah. so I'm 20 years old. I'm getting out of something. I'm coming into this. Would you say that trade school or unions are kind of like, are those your two entry points basically, or getting a job somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, you know, when you look at the trade schools, a lot of them are kind of, they're, they're farming uh, the first two years of a formal apprenticeship. Um, so as an electrician or a pipe fitter, um, you're going to go to a Dunwoody or an Anoka Tech and, you know, you're going to put in your time there. And, and then if you so choose, you, you'll either get recruited or you could look at um, getting in with a contractor that uh, it's, it's called a signatory contractor. But, um, you know, there is no, there's no shortcuts to it. Um, I currently teach an apprenticeship program, um, and I've, I've told all my students, um, you know, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And you're, right. um, we're gonna, you're gonna have to put in the time, but I guarantee you, if we complete this marathon together, and I will be with you to the end, um, if we complete this together, these credentials and this licensure and your journeyman status will be with you for the rest of your life. And it will carry you through the rest of your life with a great wage, with great benefits, with health care, with all of these things. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's. Where are you, where are you uh, teaching? Um, I teach for my, for the company I work for, for Norhart. Got it. And um, uh, I, I teach the apprenticeship that I teach is, uh, it's a hybrid because I am I'm mixing a little bit of pipe fitting and a little bit of um, uh, HVAC sheet metal and working with these guys to kind of find what they enjoy the most and then find the silo that they fit in so that they can be disciplined to be the most proficient that they want to be and that they can be within that silo. Sure. So I think, um, you know, for me, I've never been, never wanted to be kind of a jack of all trades. Um, I've always learned and just been focused to stay in my silo. So to be very clear, Dustin does not do drywall or concrete work or, <laughs> that's or anything funny. like that. That's I'm, funny because that's probably one of the failings of all three of us is like, I'll do it all, whatever. Yeah, like, right. yeah. I mean, I've always been, I've always been a little jealous of the, you know, the specialized uh, mechanical we call them and skilled trades, oh, okay. <laughs> which is a little unfair. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Electrical, mechanical, pipe fitting. What's the other one? There's four, four, four. What they call skilled trades, and they're called Plumbing. skilled trades because they're licensed. Right. License traits. Right. Yeah, no, I I think that um, you know, all joking aside, we we in the industry tend to we all know that plumbers and electricians have to go and get their licensure, like that's part of it. Um, but then, therefore, we sort of look at the rest of the trades, whether that's skilled carpentry or even doing drywall, and and think that there's some less value in what they oh, do no, not at and, all. and in some ways they're, they're some of those professions are easier to get into and you ha and you don't have to learn quite as much i get that but um the skill still shows you know people yeah. who get really proficient and good at things are oh, yeah. valuable no matter which part of the industry they're yeah and Although, we, we count on them we count on 
you know, a good foundation, you know, good footings. You know, I need the concrete guy to be the best that he can be. I need the drywall. You know, certain trades are stacked on top of other trades and are dependent on the trade before them to be proficient. Whether they're licensed or not. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So. But, I mean, I think, you know, uh, you could kind of say that there's a there's a reason behind the licensing, licensing requirements for the trades that we're talking about because those mechanical safety. It's all about safety. Yeah. I mean, there's there's these things that can, can go very wrong when you're working with gas or with water or with electricity. Combustion. Yeah. yeah. So Or structural stuff. Or structural you know. stuff. But, yeah. um, you know, those, those people know their business, too. So Yeah, I think going back to it, I don't know about you guys, but I think I get, the, I get that question a lot. How do I get started? Where do I go? Do I need to go to school? Right. And, and I'm like, well, you can go pay for school or you can go get a job and get paid to go to school Yeah, because <laughs> you can learn on the job and then you can still do an apprenticeship. And uh, my electricians, I got two apprentices and they're in school, um, not union school, but they're in the uh, electrical association and they get paid to learn. And I don't, and, and if you are, and Sean, actually one of them did no, they both have been through a, a small, a short program to figure out if they were a good fit for electrical, and they liked it. And um, but having, but now they're getting to learn a lot more on the job, I think, than they would learn in a book. Because most of the tradespeople are very visual, if I, and not so sure. book oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But to do both together works really well. So they do have to read their books and do classes, but they're getting paid to learn and so if you know if you, you could choose a route i don't know you could go to pay for a couple years of school or you could, you could get paid <laughs> i take it that's learn. not the, the route you'd take <laughs> um, yeah I, yeah i did i was in the union too same thing i had union school i was getting paid to learn and but I, you had to find a company that'll hire you right so who's going to take you on and and give you that opportunity and in the union uh, some somebody opened the door for me and i got in and that's where I started too. You know, the, the trades have been such a blessing to me, and I and I convey that to my apprentices is that you know you can lose a lot of things in your life. Um, someone can take your tools. You know, you could you could lose out in a, in a marriage and a divorce. Someone could take your house, but uh, they can't take those skill sets from you unless yeah. they can get in your brain. You can always have a base, a foundation to rebuild from. If you're tools are stolen out of your vehicle you still you have the hands and the knowledge to rebuild an entire life and you can do it fairly quickly if you have the skill sets absolutely it's a it's a it's a skill you can take anywhere you're not in an office you're not relying on somebody's you've got some computer skills in your head that not that you can't really don't always transfer it and it dissipates right away that we've or just the the, uh, it changes fast, right? So you, if you don't stay on top of your IT, you're, you're going to lose it. And, uh, but if you've got some hands-on skills, you can do it anywhere your whole life, and you will always be able to make money. Yeah. And yeah, people I think, are scra- oh, A lot of people are, you know, you kind of have to be a scrapper to get, like, to get into it. You've got to be able to t- roll with the punches. So a lot of people are starting off with that, and then you throw some skills on top of that, and you've got a pretty good... Well, I think Foundation. the last few years um, with the pandemic has really highlighted the resiliency of the trades because almost everybody I know, like, lost business for a while, had to shift and focus their energies elsewhere, got, you know, loans, even though they don't 
that like managing, navigating that government stuff was difficult, but they still had to do it and they got through the pandemic and now they're scrambling and getting back, bringing the people back to work and stuff. So yeah, there's definitely no, no shortage of work in the trades. And I don't, I don't think there will be when we look at the numbers, we look at the hard data, you know, what department of labor is putting out, um, the lack of skilled tradesmen is going to continue to just keep getting worse. And I think uh, what's interesting is, is, um, you know, there's going to be at some point, there's going to be kind of a dilution, uh, a watering down of the trades of the skill sets just in order to get enough bodies in to serve it. But for anyone thinking of, of getting into the trades, um, it, it, any trade, it, it doesn't matter. I, I would just, I would really encourage get the formal experience in it too. Um, you're going to learn a lot on the job. Um, you might not always learn the right stuff on the job. But um, the book smarts and and uh, the tutorials and the classes and the videos that are out there, it um, boy, no, no regrets. Yeah, I would say that. Oh, I'm sorry, Mary. The the, the, the uh, how you started <laughs> out so with polite. the learning and the drive and yearning and to, the drive to learn and the yearning to learn, it, that that comes with the, the territory. I think you know there, you're going to learn the skill, hands on. But there's so much out there that's so accessible now. And I used to say I had my Bibles, and I'd have three. I'd read how to do something three different ways in my books. I've still got those pile of books, and <laughs> pages falling out. But the my new carpenters are like, you know, I, now how, I'll say, here's what you're doing tomorrow, new apprentice or whatever it might be. I know you haven't done it, but in order for you to be productive tomorrow, go YouTube it tonight. Look it up. Here's and, <laughs> right, right, and 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 you know, then you're and it's out there. So you have to, there's such a learning and yearning to learn to be in this industry. And I think that that's the amazing part. It's hands-on. You can look in a book and you can read it and then you can do it or look at a video, whatever it might be. There's, you have to have that drive as well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think people read books anymore, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) What's a book? Um, All right, you guys, I needed a little segue out of our first half here so we could take a little break. So I thought I'd make a little joke. Um, All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back in just a few for our second half. We will be back to the show after a few quick ads from our valued sponsors. Wonder Woman Construction is a Minneapolis-based, woman-owned, residential and commercial construction and electrical company. Lori and her team pride themselves on their commitment to long-term green and sustainable building practices, and they apply their deep understanding of building science to each project they take on. They are dedicated to the complete satisfaction of every client. One more thing that you absolutely cannot miss about Wonder Woman Construction is the fact that every employee loves what they do and truly enjoys working with each other. The best projects are those that are done by happy people. And Wonder Woman Construction is full of happy people. Visit WonderWomanConstruction.com to get started on your happiest project ever. Kinetic Legacy is the company that powers the Joe Contractor app. Their unique platform blends the good parts of social tech with their one-of-a-kind data organizing system, getting communities, large and small, a safe, private space to stay connected and to keep information and memories organized. If you and your community have a shared purpose or passion and are looking for a better way to stay connected, contact Kinetic Legacy today at kineticlegacy.us. 
Find out how groups from contractors to campers, tribal communities, unions, and alumni organizations are finding their way to meaningful new spaces in this increasingly digital world. Again, that's kineticlegacy.us. Reader Home Restorations is a Minnesota-based, full-service residential general contracting company specializing in the repair and painting of historic homes. Whether your home needs repairs, painting, or remodeling, Reader Home Restorations has got you covered. We understand that every home, client, and project is unique. At Reader Home Restorations, we pledge to give you a long-lasting product while paying close attention to client questions and concerns. Check us out at www.readerhomerestorations.com. That's Reader, spelled with two E's, homerestorations.com. The Joe Contractor Show doesn't let just any old company put an ad in the middle of a show this important. They have to pay us. Send us an email if you're certain your business should be featured on our show. All right, we're back with our second half. Um, same crew. No one left. No, That's always a good sign. That's a yeah. very good well, I ended sign. up with a puppy. Yeah. Oh, just through the break. Yeah. Well, it started right before I got I got two uh, text messages from my uh, teenage daughters, and um, uh, I'll do all the work, Dad. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, BS. Right. That's I, mean, I actually do believe them. I actually do believe them. They, they're hard they're, workers. They are hard workers. They're really. I mean, I've met them. They're like serious kids. Mm-hmm. Like these. These aren't like lazy children. These are right. hard workers. So yeah. Well, my wife and I both. Yeah. Exemplify that. Right. So, you right. Know, they lead by example. Yeah. So Dustin, uh, well, during the break, so we, you know, we record the show and we listen to all the stuff and everything, and then we really had. Um, like all the fun stuff that we talked about was during the break in between. We did not record it. So here we are. (laughs) So Dustin, uh, one thing that, um, you know, through your story there, that move, that transition from commercial where you're working at these large companies doing large systems to, um, just the, I'm going to say like the chaotic, stressful, world of residential stuff like what's that move like for yeah you? it was it was a big change um you know obviously commercial industrial you're on projects you know from six months to a year and six months yeah and um uh you know and with most of all that commercial industrial a very large portion of it is is new construction yeah um so you've got plans and you've got prints and you've got engineers in front of you and architects in front of you and they're all laying out the perfect, you know, groundwork for you to be successful. And then you get into residential. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we've all worked. Yeah, right. That's why we look, you know, well, I'll, I won't say we because Lori, Lori is youthful. The, we, Merrick and I look 20 years older than we actually are. Thanks. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not throwing it. you in there I'll yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only 28. <laughs> If even. If you even. see when I shave. Right. I look like I'm 14. Yeah. The, um, I mean, honestly, joking aside, working in people's homes and working with existing situations, and you're talking two different things at once there. The yes. house is one thing. Yep. 
And then the emotional state of the client who lives in that house is yeah. a completely different thing. It, it is huge because you actually have a client that is in front of you all the time. And um, you, you know, you can't leave a lunch bag out, you know, on, on the work site or a soda can or a pop bottle or any, any of that. Right. Um, it's a huge change. And, you know, as I discussed earlier, um, in the commercial industrial trades, as a tradesman you or tradeswoman, you, you focus in this silo and you get very, very good at your code proficiency and, and what you're doing. And now, you know, getting into residential, especially remodel residential. Yeah, Dustin, can you put an event fan in this bathroom for me, please? I mean, that's what we call you for. Like, like, oh, you used to work in buildings that were 40 stories high, and we're like, hey, I don't want to crawl in the attic. Can you get a little fan out the roof? So that was was huge. Um, And I had only had the experience of residential working on my own home that I lived in at the time. And even at that point, uh, as I shared over the break, um, I had to replace the the furnace and air conditioner. And, you know, I'm an HVAC tech. I'm a journeyman. Um, I, I think I had my master's, but I had no idea how to hook up the air conditioning to it. I just didn't. It was so outside the silo um, that I worked in. Uh, so I had a good sheet metal worker friend that did know how to do it and he came over and, and hooked it up, but it was, it was very different. Um, the commercial industrial side, the, the unique thing about sheet metal work is it's the one trade that, um, you have to constantly be fabricating. Um, you know, electricians, plumbers can go pull fittings and electrical boxes off the shelf and you can pull all these different things off the shelf. And uh, in the commercial, you know, everything was custom fabrication, came out of a shop, a plasma cutter, um, rolling machines and came out to the field. So, yeah. Fast I imagine forward. I'd be cutting myself all the time. On- <laughs> you know, can you believe True. I've been in the trade <laughs> almost 30 years and I've never had a stitch Wow. On my body. Right. Because that sheet metal, like, oh, it'll, it'll get you. Oh. Yeah. If you don't I, respect, if you don't respect her. Right. It'll get you. That's mine. I got cut from some metal studs when I was in, working in a hospital on a ladder and, and uh, I had to go to the hospital. <laughs> a metal stud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My, my, my uh, foreman and I put a screw through his hand too. <laughs> I, I've been very fortunate. And, uh, uh, we laugh. <laughs> I remember when my buddy shot his hand too with a with a nail gun. I was like, "Oh, Marty, that's so fun." I mean, get back to work, by the way. <laughs> put, <laughs> some, put, put some electrical tape on it. Oh yeah, <laughs> you'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, and he did too. He went right back yeah, to work. Duct yeah, duct tape and uh, some paper towels. Okay. It bled out. Oh, it cleaned itself. Then you're yeah. good to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So residential was huge, a huge change for me. And, um, you know, I was unfamiliar with um, even the residential fittings. I was unfamiliar with, um, uh, you know, older home construction. Um, Like I said, other than, you know, kind of working on my own my own house in in South Minneapolis. uh, Now, all of a sudden, you know, I'm getting into these these projects and, oh, the framing's not consistent. What, what, they, a, what is oh, it? Is balloon frame? Twenty home. They're, 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 they use scrap wood to build the back porch. You know? Right. And, oh, and they ran the, the the wall cavity is the duct. Right. You know, exactly. Like, yeah. 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 And 
oh, you mean I'm supposed to get ductwork under in the crawl space? Right. Never had to do that on a commercial job. <laughs> so It's so funny to hear because when I call Dustin, he knows the solution for any of these weird things that he's describing yeah, now more a, than anybody else I know in the trades. Right. He's like, oh, we'll do this. We'll use this size and this. But you had to, to learn all big. of that. I did. I yeah. did have to learn it. And um, and again, my my formal apprenticeship was all out of books and materials specific to industrial commercial uh, sheet metal work um, and systems. But, um, uh, you know, again, man, passion can make you do so many things you might not think you would be interested in or do. And the passion of, again, working in the trades and, well, and the fact that um, it was post-recession and the wife said, you need to start bringing home some money. Um, God, that. Like, that's universal. Yeah. That's, it feels like Lori, <laughs> <Lori> too. <laughs> I, I would say oh, one of the big success factors um, was being in this community in South Minneapolis. And um, the community really, um, when they understood what my skill sets were, the community really responded and supported uh, the work that I wanted to do. And, um, you know, even, you know, we had um, our first solar project uh, in South Minneapolis uh, over in Corcoran neighborhood. Uh, one of my best friend's parents' houses, uh, you know, was a legit project. We had drawings and we had permits pulled and our electrician, uh, Chris, you know, was getting everything set up and it's how we started to really kind of diversify AEI. But um, <clears throat> working with, with the older homes, um, yeah, I mean, everything from the, the trusses not being square and straight to just older framing materials, nominal dimensions, and <laughs> it was a big change. But uh, like I said, passion kind of kind of um, drives you to to do the best you can do and adapt. So, so, um, so you you've got you know you had AEI for a, quite a while, and then. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much you want to get into what happened with AEI and why it's no longer a company yeah, here in Minneapolis. Happy to share. Yeah. Um, you know, 10 years running a business, 12 employees. I was working, uh, well, you guys know, it's, it's all the time. <laughs> all okay? the time. I'm not going to throw numbers out there, no. but let's just say there's no difference between a Monday and a Sunday. Right? Yeah, I was never not working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. that, you know, that takes its toll. And, um, you know, I, I struggled with some of the skill sets on my team. Um, um, and, uh, part of it too was, you know, as AEI started to diversify, we were, you know, we were, we were doing solar, we had a solar division, we had a mechanical division, which is what I, what I, uh, managed and ran. We had a construction remodel division and we had, um, we had an insulation division. So we were all across the board. Probably in hindsight, I should have just kept it small, but it's really hard to turn away work because so much of our work blended <laughs> to the next project for that person. And it was such a great fit because, you know, once you already build that relationship on the front end, you know, I'm replacing, you know, a furnace. Oh, do you do this? And, and I'm like, well, yeah, we, we have the expertise. We can do that. And why would I say no? Yeah, let's, let's expand into that market. So... Um, you know, 10 years of AEI, um, we had our ups and downs again, starting a company in a recession back in 2010 of January. Um, uh, we had some, some great years of growth, you know, literally from my uh, living room, dining room table to our garage to, um, we were on 44th in Minnehaha and then 
tripling our space onto 40th and Minnehaha, right on a corner. And that was really my, my, my vision. Um, my wife and I had done some traveling in Europe and um, uh, European cities are so condensed. And when you look at, you know, how do they do construction? It's, it's, it's these really innovative like storefronts. And that was one of the things I was really proud uh, towards the end. We had a corner glass storefront on 40th and Minnehaha. And I just had this vision where we could build out. And of course, I come from retail in Dayton's. If you've ever remember the Christmas <laughs> displays they did yeah. on Nicollet, you yep. know, that was engraved in me. And uh, I was like, we could do these wonderful window displays. And we we have this um, we have this captured market that has to drive past, you know, on Minnehaha. I think the numbers were 42,000 vehicles a day. Right. And I was like, I need to connect these two. Well, I need to get green building was big. Green building was yeah, time. was just huge. Kind of come out, people were like, yeah, is it they still were. big? Um, it's definitely more adopted and accepted. I guess guess this could become the norm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, that's yeah, kind of what know, I was thinking. Is that it's it's 12, not 15 big to years talk ago, about it so much. Um, you know, we were we were right in that that niche of, of again sustainability, high efficiency, and we were pushing product lines. We were pushing products that were um, uh, just cutting edge technologies, and and um, and that in itself is kind of scary because you have to know the product, and you know you have to make sure you've got the manufacturer support behind it, and warranties behind it, and all those things. But um, you know, towards the end, I had a really really good niche in Passive House and Energy Star and. Uh, another good contractor friend of mine, Michael Anchel, who I went to um, middle school with, Montessori, Lake Country Montessori, mm-hmm. um, uh, still owns an amazing design build company. Um, so I had a, a lot of people around me, uh, including the community that helped kind of kind of feed that specific niche of the work that we were doing. And all four divisions of the trade fit well. It was mechanical it was insulation weatherization it was you know construction remodel and it was solar and you know we i just i was so blessed with the repeat business uh, i remember when i when i started started aei um you know it was oh we got to get into these conventions we got to get the word out and you know i was paying thousands of dollars to have this big booth at the convention and that was pretty good for the first two years till I really started to realize that, man, I got to drive to Chanhassen to go look at this job. And I got to drive up to, you know, North Branch because, you know, the conventions attract people from all over the metro. And then um, I really kind of realized to just really dial it in. And so then it was, you know, doing the South Minneapolis Housing Fair. It was just really focusing, you know, advertising in the uh, Powderhorn um Mayday uh, a publication right. and just really dialing in to super, local. super mm-hmm. local because I think the opportunity is, you know, we just had, we had a captive audience here and we had um, some affluent neighborhoods um, and we had people that actually really the energy efficiency and sustainability was, was very important to them. And, um, you know, I had a couple of clients that, you know, were putting solar on the roof and I was like, man, I'm looking at the rest of the property and I would have worked on replacing that back door <laughs> before, you know, I, I did this, but you know, people prioritize things in different way because they're driven by passion. And, um, and I really, I really appreciated that. And, uh, and I got to tell you so much, I appreciate it as a subcontractor working with all of you guys, because you guys really, um, you know, 
had clients and made fi- expensive financial decisions that people wanted to do these certain things to their properties. And I always joked around with my friend Michael was that, you know, he's doing uh, a, an $80,000 kitchen remodel and uh, I'm competing for the $80,000 solar system on the roof, but the people want the $20,000 granite countertops. And so, <clears throat> you know, there's this, this market that you're kind of targeting, but, um, yeah, R- residential was a was a big change. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Bringing it back to where we started, yes, residential is nothing like the commercial side of things. I know that, you know. But I knew, I knew, if I could build stadiums and hospitals and skyscrapers, I should be able to go do that. Right, that, that right. Project. But it, but even in that, it, like. I'm sure jumping in, like you see that there's such a massive difference between yeah. the two that they do kind of live in separate worlds. They Not do. that information doesn't cross right. over. But. I would say that uh, especially I've hired uh, new framers. They've been doing union. They've been on a framing crew or drywall crew or whatever. They come into remodeling. They really don't know what to do. They're, they're very lost. No, it drives them crazy. It yeah. does. And, you know, so you're either that person or you're not because the the best people in remodeling are artists because you got to be creative. you got a lot problem of creative solvers. problem yeah. solving. Yeah. And it comes with the estimating, too. I've, um, I don't know who could do remodeling estimating. If you haven't actually been in the field and did it, or been in the business for a long time and been around it because there is no template you can use for remodeling for estimating. I always laugh when they're like, when you get the calls or the emails and they're like, oh, use our software right. and just plug in the stuff. Yeah. And it's like, uh, plug in what? <laughs> like, <laughs> that square foot does not work. <laughs> yeah, like, you, this is not new construction. You can't use this stuff. So. Right. Yeah, yeah, funny. Well, and so you've had a long and storied career in the trades, and now yes. you are working for what company? You, you mentioned for a company called Norhart. Yeah. Um, and um, so I guess prior to that, prior to Norhart, uh, 10 years with AEI, I ended up having uh, a significant heart attack. Um, I had a, I think it was a level two STEMI, um, which is a complete blockage of the front artery of the heart. Uh, it's also known as the Widowmaker, and it has about a 13% survival rate. I remember when this happened. Yeah, this was. <clears throat> and I was at home. It was about one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and I was just so physically uncomfortable. Something was going on, and and um, you know, my wife knew something was going on because I was, you know, drawing a bath at two in the morning, and um, you know, I had known I had had high blood pressure, and. Um, it's kind of indicative being in the trades, you're working under a level of stress. And then, oh, by the way, being a business owner, let's add some more stress on there. And you're not working enough because you got to wear 15 hats, do your accounting and your marketing and everything else. So that that piles up. And um, so uh, 2018, um, 2019, I had, I had a heart attack. And, um, and then I made a commitment to, so I ended up at Abbott, you know, it was our local local hospital in South Minneapolis. And then everyone says, oh, you're at the best heart hospital, you know, in the nation. And I was like, all right, good. Yeah, that's Exciting. nice. <laughs> Lucky glad me. I, glad I can appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, but um, so I guess going back a step, you know, uh, uh, that night, you know, I'm drawing a bath. I'm literally crawling out of my skin. And it wasn't until I started throwing up that I convinced my wife, 
well, she, I didn't convince her. She's like, we need to go. Right. And I just, <laughs> Let's give her some credit. I just remembered you know, I had some flashbacks of like when I had my kidney stone, like we couldn't drive fast enough. I'm like, we got to go. Let's forget that light. It's two in the morning. doesn't matter if it's red. We got to go. So um, <clears throat> Abbott was wonderful. I was, you know, the youngest body on the floor um, after my procedure. Uh, I'll tell you what, as a side note, um, Abbott was amazing. I, from the minute I stepped in that door, within 40 minutes, they had a stent in my heart. Wow. Uh, I walked in. Um, I must have looked pretty ghostly, but uh, right away, they, they hooked me up to an EKG, and um, I just remember looking at the eyes, the face of the woman hook, hooking me up to this equipment, and when it started beeping and buzzing and bells and whistles started going off and she confirmed with her colleague and um then everything just started moving very quickly i was rushed into a prep lab my wife hadn't even gotten through security yet um in the prep lab and um they you know got ivs in uh, stripped the clothing off and um they actually did a stent through my wrist um, which I'd never heard of, but yeah, uh, they amazing? went through my wrist and 40 minutes later they had a, had a life-saving stent in my heart. So do you I, ever think of, do you ever think of that level of customer service when someone calls you and says that their vent fans broken in their bathroom <laughs> or anything like that? Do you like maybe their furnace in the winter? For, oh yeah. <laughs> furnace in the winter, Honestly, water heaters. I've something. always <laughs> felt obligated to my customers. I've always felt obligated, especially yeah. in when you, when you deal with hot water and heat, you know, it just it's something you can't blow off to the next day. and even ac i mean yeah the, AC, you know people want their ac well and it, i mean heat kills too yeah so yeah so um you know i made a commitment to my my wife and my my two daughters and boy it didn't really hit me till i was i was in that prep lab <clears throat> prior to the operating room and my wife came in and she said and this is this is hard to repeat yeah she came in and she's like you know you're having a heart attack and uh, literally my, my life just flashed before my eyes and I got hit on the head by a two by four and I just had the sudden realization that, um, you know, I almost left a widow and, and two daughters without a father. And uh, if there's anything in life that's going to motivate you or, or make changes, the realization of, of leaving a widow, widow and two daughters without a father um, I made a commitment to my family. If I couldn't change my company culture uh, in a year, that this job wasn't worth my life. And, um, you know, I, I, I struggled after that procedure, um, not health-wise, but w- with the business, of course, because I'm back to work. My wife is trying to chain me to the bed to recover. But How quickly did they get you back to work? I mean, um, I was out of the hospital in two and a half days mm-hmm. it's just amazing thank god for modern health care I, I mean crazy so it's very fortunate wow. um and you know again still struggling trying to to find the right people in the company the skill sets and the and all these things and my wife i remember my wife went back in um well i, I took about a week off and she went back in and she's pretty firm with everybody and she's very direct and she says there's this she had a company meeting and uh, she said, there's people here at this table outside of my, my husband's current health conditions, but there's people here at this table that contributed to my husband's heart attack. You've caused stress. You've caused anxiety. You know, you, you've, you've made mistakes on jobs. You haven't shown up when you're supposed to. Um, my husband bears the brunt of all of that 
because he has to take those phone calls. And um, so that was that was pretty serious. And we had a, we had some good reaction about three, four, five months from from our employees, and then kind of things started to slide back. And it was November, um, and I just was like, oh, I'm I'm done. Just I cannot physically do this anymore and i could just with all the medications i was on i could still just feel in my heart you know i actually had a connection now to understanding how i was feeling and what it was doing to my heart and my my mental health and um, made some hard decisions at that point to to shut down the business and um, i'm very fortunate the uh, some of the amazing um uh, employees I had taught me some just amazing things. I'll never forget uh, my solar salesman, um, Steve Hazak. He, he taught me two of the most important things in my contracting career, which was <clears throat> never sell futures. And it took me forever to understand why he kept saying that. And what I finally understood in his example was in the solar industry, you know, we were bombarded by new technology. You know, here's the latest and greatest solar panel. It's going to produce 15% more. And, oh, these guys got a solar panel that will put out, you know, 10, 10 more watts. And um, um, at the same time, we had the Minnesota Made program. We had local Minnesota manufacturers producing solar panels. But he kept, you know, and they kept telling us about the next greatest product coming out. And he kept saying, never sell futures. And Steve came from a corporate world um, of Xerox selling construction plotters. And he also was out of business because of after 9-11 during the recession and went through a state retraining program. He was interested in solar, uh, came on board, brought some amazing um, uh, commercial sales um, to, to our company. Um, and so never, never sell futures. And I, and I, I talk that way even today with some of my, my employees. And the concept is... Don't sell the products you don't already have in your inventory or you can't pull off the shelf the next day. Right. Um, so selling futures is, is um, probably the worst way to put a product in front of somebody that you don't have access to or you can't get. And you lead, you know, potentially leading the customer on because you're thinking you can get it. And the manufacturer is saying, oh, well, now that you're asked, we're, you know, we're six months out lead time. So... Never sell futures. And number two, he taught me on the front end of every project. Uh, we took uh, deposit money uh, on projects and uh, always bought materials and always paid the remainder of our balances um, with payroll. So what that did was it allowed us as a company for many, many years um, to carry very, very little debt on our, on our, our spreadsheets. And boy, when I closed my business, uh, that that worked out very well because I actually had about eight months of receivables. And I had all my products paid, and I had all my employees paid. Yeah, when did you close down officially? Um, so I want to say, uh, I think this October it'll be three years. So, so right prior to the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yes, it was the fall before the pandemic because I remember high-fiving with my wife every time we watched the news at night. How happy we were! I didn't own a small business. <laughs> yeah, which not, is a not which to rub is a, it in, guys. No, I know it's a terrible yeah. thing, but it's true. Um, you know, my my business was um, just remodeling. You know, general remodeling and kind of high end remodel construction stuff. And um, the pandemic did it in like that. Like there wow. wasn't the 
the work fell off a cliff, you know that there's, if the, if the wheel isn't moving, like everything, yeah. you know, whether you've got money right today, two weeks from now, you don't, yeah. you know, yeah. people didn't, people were going to hold on to their money. They didn't want to spend it. Yeah. I was yeah. very fortunate in the trade I'm in, especially with mechanical. I always had people coming to me. Yeah. I mean, it, did, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't matter how bad the recession is. People need their heat. People want their hot water. People want their air conditioning. Yeah. They'll make they sacrifices in other places. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that means it's, you know, not the luxury of new countertops or a new bathroom, but you know, people will, will be forced to make those decisions. Yeah, so. yeah. It was a, definitely a shit show because it, it did just drop off. It wasn't like, oh, the economy's starting to turn. Let's get ready. <laughs> no. It was like, whoa, where did my floor go? <laughs> yeah, like there's nothing just here all off. of a sudden. And then, uh, you know, if you could hang in there, we, you know, and you flourished. But it, but there was a, some months that, that it, was a, it was a shit show for a few months. Yeah, I mean, I just had to reinvent myself. That's yeah. all. You know, yeah, I, it's right. not like I, it's, I lost that business. It was a casualty of, of the recession. But it doesn't mean that I lost all of the skill and knowledge right. and connections exactly. that I had made, back to that. you know, back yeah. to that point. And the passion, too. You know? Right. Yeah. You're still going to do what you're going to do, what, right. you're, what you're great at. Yeah. yeah. I just had to re, re figure what I'm at. So you're, you're working for a company a lot less stress, it sounds like. A lot less stress. Um, Planning you know, on being around for a while, are you? Then? You're going <laughs> yeah. to stay my, with us on my, this planet? I, we, we had a, a big conversation <laughs> prior, prior to you coming in about... Uh, my new life, I will call it post-contractor um, life, um, has been very, very different. I, I took two years off after closing the business, and, and I had mentioned, you know, the difference between, like, you know, startup of a business is a big hurdle, but even closing down a business is, is a big hurdle. Um, so much documents, so many forms to do it right, and, you know, close down the websites and close down, you know, all these different things that you've been connected to for 10 years. <laughs> um, people ask me if True. that was hard, and... I'm like, no, not at all, hmm. not at all. Um, the timing of all these things happened, um, and I was I was ready for them. So took two years off. Um, I, I did that little thing called van life. Um, I had two daughters that lived out west in Bozeman and uh, Jackson, and um, 2000, mm. that, that spring, uh, I think when the first cases were announced in Oregon, it was January. And so I had been sitting at home, and this is completely amazing different story, amazing story, but I had the luxury to sit at home and watch the news all the time. And I just watched this evolve out of China. And one of the, the things that really hit me on the head was when they closed in China, when they closed the first city, um, was it Wuhan? It was Wuhan, Wuhan. yeah. Um, if, if, a, if a, a country closes a city of 11 million people, Rail, traffic, um, uh, boat, lockdown. airplane, a complete lockout. I mean, I, I, when I heard that, 11, a city of 11 million people went into complete lockdown, I thought, wow, this has got to be something serious. Yeah. Right? I mean, how do you contain 11 million people? <laughs> and, um, and then the first cases came out in, um, in Oregon. I think it was Oregon, right? Yeah. Oregon or Washington. Yep. Yep. And... Um, and then they used the word, um, I think it was, it was, it was like non, non-community spread, or they used some, some word, and um, it really dawned on to me that uh, this is going to be huge. And, <laughs> and again, sitting at home, I had nothing else to do. I was watching, watching all this play out, and then I just tried to picture 
a, 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 a world, a country to live in where people are wearing masks. I'm like, oh, you know, we'll never, our society, people will never accept that. We'll never accept all these constraints. And boy, wow, what a tumultuous two years that was. Um, so I got on the road. I did some van life, um, traveled in my, my 86 Volkswagen Vanagon, my pop top, did some time up in the mountains out west. And uh, I came back and uh, picked up my wife probably about, I would say, summer, fall of, uh, of 2000. And we went, did the same exact route, visited our daughters, went to our friends uh, up in Snoqualmie Valley, up in Washington State. Mm-hmm. And um, so I spent some time on the road. And boy, just such important soul searching and mental health. I really didn't realize. So by this time, I had connected the physical um, effects that had happened to me, the heart attack. But it really wasn't until I got disconnected and my phone wasn't ringing all the time. Because as a, as a contractor, you know, your, your phone rings and you're busy and you're taking calls. As a mechanical service contractor, your phone never stops. Unless you build culture in your company where you can hand those calls off to somebody else. I need you to go fix that air conditioner, fix that water heater. So the gravity of realizing right towards the end with AEI, the gravity of realizing how dependent people were on not only my company, but were dependent on Dustin's expertise to come solve their problems right. really hit me. I mean, our, our, our client books, we were, I think we were close to 3000 clients and, um, and a little bit different than remodel because, you know, your projects are lengthier, but in service and mechanical, you know, we're turning, we can turn around projects, you know, 15 in a week. Um, so the realization that, uh, I am, I, all these people are dependent on, on my skill sets, the skill sets of my team that weighed very, very heavy the last month, right before I had my heart attack. And, um, so, uh, the phone stopped ringing and boy, God, it was just a blessing. I had to make some really hard decisions on whether I wanted to keep my personal phone number. And, um, and I did, and I think that was a good thing, but the silence, um, of not having to be, um, I don't think the word, it's not committed, but obligated, um, uh, boy, that, that felt good to not feel obligated. Um, and again, I'm, I'm one of those people, uh, I think we either talked at break or before where, you know, I am, you know, Johnny on the spot. Someone's got, you know, a problem with their furnace. I'm going to be there. I'm going to bring some heaters, rent, you know, take care of things. And usually I'm taking care of that or somebody that I know within, you know, a couple of hours. Bailed us out the other day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had a cracked, uh, condenser tray, I think yeah. you call it. And Condensate pan. Yeah. Got it. He got it all fixed. Yep. Yeah, well, we, we. We used your, uh, we, we have it siliconed currently. Oh, still? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, that's another story. We should probably talk about that. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> so I'm on the road. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing van life. I'm, I'm post, you know, contractor life. And um, uh, we had also moved at that time. We moved from um, Corcoran neighborhood over into Powderhorn. And, and we were right off of 32nd in Bloomington. So right in the thick of it during the riots, during the protests, the demonstrations, yeah. listening. I always knew where the demonstrations were by, by where the helicopter was in the sky. Yeah. You know, if it was down Lake we're, Street. We're pretty darn close where yep. I live, too. And, so yeah. um, that and also we were two blocks off of Powderhorn Park where uh, the encampment was. And, um, you know, that, that had some of its own dramas. And, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, no one... 
no one grows up wishing to live in a tent in a park. And um, we had these in, the encampments in the metro here, and they ended up being captive audiences. You know, you had drug dealers coming in, you had prostitution taking place, and it was it was sad that it didn't get self-policed better. But um, we had a lot of drama around us in Powderhorn, and um, I hadn't hadn't taken my new job yet. I think um, it was just shortly after that um, that I started perusing for. A different kind of job uh, where I didn't have to wear 15 hats and something that was again right back in my silo of expertise yep. and so a company Norhart Construction I remember looking at the the job ad they had 15 different job openings and um, uh, I clicked on what I thought was more info and what it actually was sent my resume so I'm scrambling because I had created like three different resumes I'm scrambling to like figure out which resume did I just accidentally send out and I worked with a headhunter for about three, I'd say two and a half months to kind of dial in this job and what my expectations were and what they were looking for to make sure this was a good fit with them. And uh, I'm not going to go too far into to Norhart, but it's an amazing employer. It's a very unique business model. Um, in a nutshell, um, we uh, procure land, uh, purchase land, we design, we develop, we engineer all in-house we build in-house. We build with employees, um, electricians, plumbers, uh, HVAC, mechanical, um, drywallers are all employees. Uh, there are uh, only two subcontractors within our whole company, and um, that is the elevator operators, uh, which yep. we just we can't keep busy year-round. Nope. Um, and our sprinkler fitters. Yep, and, another, uh, another highly specialized trade. And that's, that's a li- current license that I've been encouraged to work on and uh, happy to get back in a classroom and, and do. But, um, yeah, I love it. They're a very um, innovative uh, disruptor in the marketplace. Um, the business model is, is I don't, I describe it, it's not very uh, wide silo. It's a very tall silo. So not only the construction, but the leasing, the maintenance, and the ownership is all in the same silo and um and it's taken a lot of work for the company to get there it's a younger business owner his father passed away uh, about six years ago from a sudden stroke they had about 680 units um rental units um not physical brick and mortar buildings but just you know um fourplexes Mm -hmm. it's four units and apartment buildings they had a couple small ones but um you know currently 680 units we're on a, a track right now to build 151,000 units by 2030 so that is literally eight years out in front of us and the runway and the plan is um to double the company every six months uh so the project i'm on is in phase three up in circle pines a little project called uh, lexington lofts about 340 units up there. Uh, we're moving on to our next project in um, Oakdale, uh, which is called Impact. It's going to be about another 300 and maybe 40, 50 uh, projects or units. And then we've got Otsego. We're moving out of state, looking at, at projects. And um, it's a very unique model. I'm back in the commercial industrial side of things. Um, Sounds like it. Yeah. But what's unique about it is having all that in-house expertise you know, I'm used to writing an RFI and waiting, you know, days to get an answer. All of my answers, all of my, my hurdles, all of my, my situations, uh, 
because I don't use the word problems or situations. <laughs> and all situations have solutions. Um, so all of these situations can all be solved before the end of the day. We have the authority and we have the expertise to answer every issue and to solve it. And so that allows us to move very, very quickly. And without subcontractors, uh, it allows us to move very, very quickly. And what's unique in uh, multifamily building, when you build at this scale and you build at this, this intensity, um, it really is, you know, one trade leads into the next trade and it's a freight train and the freight train leaves the station. And if there's any hiccups, you know, it, it affects, you know, affects the trade behind you. And so uh, very, That's very... the nature of construction yeah. from start to finish. Well, this, <laughs> this is a very intense schedule in terms of, uh, I think we're doing, trying to do a, a unit a day. So if yeah. you think about that, that is plumbing, flooring, electrical, drywall, painting, mudding, um, exterior. Every single day we're turning out a unit. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty intense. Uh, I love challenges. Um, I love being a legacy builder. Uh, I like looking at the track record of projects I've been privileged to work in. And um, this is one of those that uh, I want to... I want to help this company and be around and, and get to those goals and be unique. And, um, you know, it's probably what my, my, my inner soul is still looking for is, um, kind of, uh, that legacy building. So it's a good, it's a good well, fit that's... and it checked all the boxes, you know, yeah. I'm teaching an apprenticeship program. Um, it's not consuming my life. Um, my, my wife enjoys the fact she calls it this, our Renaissance years because, she gets her husband back, and uh, we can enjoy our weekends, and we can travel, and um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's things. nice to let other people take the reins for a while mm -hmm. and not not run your own thing. Um, well, I feel like uh, well, first of all, we're, we're another forty minutes into it here, so we should try and wrap it up. But um, but this is the Joe Contractor Show, so you know, here we went from we started out with kind of like how do you get into it. And we went full circle to how the hell do you get out of it? Because <laughs> <'cause, laughs> like, sometimes you just got to get out of it, too. Yeah. Um, but I think that's important for people to understand. It's, it, you know, there is no job, no career you're going to get that doesn't come with, um, I would say, things that are going to make you want to make changes along the way. I don't know, you know, very few people stay in one field or one profession their entire lives. I, I know very few people who have done that. So, um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you might need to run away screaming too, and that's okay. But, um, even though you, you took off for a little while, you fell right back into the things that you learned along the way that give you the ability to live a good life. And to yeah. earn a good it was, living. it was falling back into my comfort zone. Yeah. So, which is great. And, uh, you know, so this, the Joe contractor show, we will get into, um, we'll get into the homeowner side at, at times where we we'll talk to some homeowners soon in the upcoming episodes, um, and find out what their take is on what we do and, and how we've damaged them over the years or completely made their day by doing wonderful things too. Cause that happens. Um, and hopefully, you know, if you're considering, starting your own business um you can listen to some of the stuff and and you know hear kind of some of the paths that our guests and us have taken throughout the years so absolutely yeah um well dustin uh i would tell you that you go ahead and give a shout out to whatever you want but you already did 
you're you're cut off from that. Your company got no. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Um, sounds like a really interesting company. Maybe at some point we'll uh, maybe get the owner in or talk to someone else who would like to promote, oh, yeah, that, promote that stuff. So yeah, very innovative. Yeah, cool. Um, well, everyone, thank you. I mean, does anyone have anything they want to say before we sign off for the day? I think I guess some I didn't say on <clears throat> on the mic is I'm just so excited to be feeling better. Oh, and yeah. um, you, you I went got over COVID. COVID and I had no energy. So um, I'm feeling very energetic here today and I'm, and I'm glad to be back. Well, we're so, um, definitely and spending happy to my have you time back. with these guys here. So thanks you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a great meeting with, uh, with our development team for the Joe contractor app, which, um, you know, we'll, we'll be, uh, that will be coming out soon and we will give you more information about that and it's launched just as soon as we have it. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, guys. Yep, yeah, thanks, thanks, Dustin. It's been a privilege. Yeah, Thank thanks, you. Dustin. Thank you so much for listening to another amazing episode of the most important show out there. Before we go, we want to thank you again for supporting us and for all the lovely things you say about us on social media. Shows like this grow with help from people like you. And remember, keep sending us your questions. We really appreciate the stories and the great insights we gain from our audience. We also want to remind you that you can buy shirts, hats, and more at joecontractorshow.com. Be good to each other, and we'll catch you on the next show.